Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. John chapter 1. I'm super excited this morning to be starting this new series in the book of John. We're going to be in it for the next 26 weeks, uh, and so that's a long time. And so I wanted to make sure that you understand the context of what's happening here and, and kind of make sure that we're all on the same page as we jump into this book. If you were hoping to maybe get one of those little John journals that, that we have available, we ran out after the first service. We'll have more next week. So if you're looking for one of those, we'll have them in the lobby next week for you. But as you're taking notes and stuff, like just some context as we set this up, this is called the Gospel of John, right? This is the the last of the four Gospels to be written, the book of John is. If you're familiar, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. They're called the Gospels because they contain the Gospel message. Uh, they are not themselves the gospel. Sometimes I'll ask, uh, ask people, what is the gospel? And sometimes people will say, well, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, no, um, they contain the gospel message is the reason they're called the gospels. They contain the message of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection on behalf of you and me. And, and the book of John is the last one of those four that was written. It was written around AD 85 to 90 in the city of Ephesus. You've probably heard of Ephesus. Paul wrote um, a letter uh, called Ephesians to the church that he started there in Ephesus, one of his favorite churches. The book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books. And so he wrote that late in life. John is an old man whenever he writes this book. And it's interesting because being the last of the gospel accounts, um, most of what's in here is unique to this book. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pretty similar. Um, John, it's almost like he's going, I want to fill in some gaps for you. I want to make sure that you know uh, these, these things. And so there's a lot of unique stuff. In fact, even the way that they all start, like John is unique from those. Matthew starts his story of Jesus by giving us the lineage of Jesus, the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Mark starts uh, his book talking about John the Baptist kind of sets the whole story of Jesus in the historical person of John the Baptist. Uh, Luke starts his by shouting out his buddy, Theophilus. He likes to do that. He did that in the book of Acts as well. But John starts with this insanely deep theological passage called the prologue. The prologue just means the first words. It's it's like the movie trailer, the thing that kind of gives you the picture of what the rest of the book's going to be about. He gives it to us here in these first few verses. And it's just rich and it's deep. It's deep theology, or really it's deep Christology, the study of Christ. Um, That's what we have here in the first few verses. And he's wanting us to form an understanding of who Jesus is that will just leave us in awe of Jesus. Like if you walk away from today and everything that we're about to break down and you're just like, oh, that's some good head knowledge, you missed it, right? We're gonna break down all of this stuff that he gives us in this prologue so that you and I walk away just going, Jesus is amazing. That's the point, okay? That's his, that's his goal. As we read the rest of this book over the next 25 weeks, John wants us to set up with the idea that Jesus is amazing. 
okay? So who is John? Um, I feel like that's important if we're gonna set some context. Who is John? John was a fisherman in Galilee before Jesus called him to be one of his disciples. John was the brother of James. Both of them were disciples. If you remember, Jesus gave them a really cool nickname. He called them the Sons of Thunder, which that's cool, right? If you can have a nickname, Sons of Thunder is pretty neat. So that's who John was. He was one of the 12 guys that Jesus called to follow him. And he walked with Jesus for three and a half years. John saw every step that Jesus took, all the actions that he did. John was right there with him for three and a half years. Out of those 12 disciples, John was kind of in the inner three. Jesus had three that were, that were close, like best friends, and John was one of those. In fact, in this book, he refers to himself by calling himself the one who Jesus loved. And I know that that sounds kind of arrogant, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that Jesus loved. But I think what he's doing there is he's expressing humility and he's expressing just amazement and awe at the fact that Jesus actually loved him. And so he doesn't even mention himself by name in this book, but we know that he was one of the closest to Jesus. At the Last Supper, he's seated right next to Jesus, John 13, 23 tells us. He's the only disciple that's present at the crucifixion scene. He's the first disciple to see the empty tomb. In fact, it's a really funny moment in John chapter 20, verse four, where John points out that he's faster than Peter, right? You almost just get the, get the picture that their friendship, they were, he was constantly like ribbing him, you know, like, don't forget, I'm faster than you. I beat you to the, beat you to the tomb. John chapter 20, verse four, the, the two were running together, talking about John and Peter, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter to get to the tomb first. I, I think that's hilarious. So for the rest of eternity, we know John is faster than Peter, right? So he's the first to the empty tomb, but he's also the one who takes Jesus's mom after Jesus's death and cares for her as his own. She becomes, she comes and lives with him. John was the best friend of Jesus and he deeply loves his friend, right? I want you to think about who your best friend is or maybe somebody that you just love deeply. And if I were to ask you, how, how would you describe that person? Like what kind of things come to your mind? Immediately, you're wanting to make sure that I know just how great that person is. You're wanting me to know why you love them the way that you do, right? And that's what John's doing. He's saying, you've gotta meet my best friend. You've gotta meet him. And he tells us his purpose in writing this book in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. I promise you, I'm probably gonna reference that for the next 25 weeks, okay? This is the purpose of the book of John. He tells us here, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that were not written in this book, but these are written, these words that we have in the book of John are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote this. He wants you and I to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. In fact, the word believe is used over 90 times in the book of John. That's his goal. He wants us to believe. And it's common, like you'll hear people say that, that the book of John is written uh, for non-believers or for people who are maybe interested in the faith. Um, and that's true. I wanna, I wanna encourage you, invite somebody to come join us over the next 
few months together, like this is a perfect opportunity. We're talking about Jesus and who he is and his character and how that affects everyone around him. And that's true, but remember, he wrote this in Ephesus, around AD 85 to 90. Ephesus was the center of Christianity at this time. It was the place where Christianity was thriving. And so I believe that John wrote this book with people in mind, they're in Ephesus that are very familiar with Christianity. You might even call them second generation Christians, right? They, they've grown up with these ideas. They know who Jesus is. They know about him. They, they understand the way that he teaches us to live. Like they know all of those things. And I would guess, right, that that probably describes every single one of us. That we grew up around these ideas and we understand who Jesus is. In fact, I would say if you were to go to Target this afternoon and you poll 100 people and say, what do Christians celebrate at Christmas? 100 people are gonna tell you that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Like we live in the Bible Belt. We live around these ideas. And so you could say that we are the target audience here. People who are familiar with Jesus but, but John, the best friend of Jesus, says, I don't want you to just know about him. I want you to truly know him. I want you to know him. And in fact, he starts his epistle, 1 John, in the first chapter there, basically saying this, I, I want you to know him like I know him. And he talks about how I, I cried with him, I laughed with him, I, I laid my head on his shoulder like he's, he's more real than my next breath. That's what John would tell us here. And he says, I want you to know him like that. And so this morning, as we jump in, he introduces us to his best friend. And that's what I want us to see. And I know that that was a long introduction of context, but I feel like we gotta do it. So John chapter one. Uh, amen. amen, there you go, I appreciate that. I'll always take as many of those as you wanna throw out. All right, so John chapter one, uh, verse, verse one. And, and, and again, here's the warning. We're gonna get insanely heady for just a little bit, but hang with me, all right? We're going very practical as well. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. All right, so in the first five verses of this book, we jump headfirst straight into the deep end of theology and he tells us who Jesus is on a, on a cosmic level. Right? Who Jesus is. He calls him the Word over and over again. We see that, that, that he is referred to as the Word. That's the Greek word logos. It's where we get our word logo. And uh, if you think of what a logo is, a logo is a, it's a mark, it's a representation that communicates a message, right? And, and the word logos is, John used it intentionally because it communicated both the Hebrew audience and to the Greek audience but he calls him the word and then he doesn't leave it up for debate on what the word might be. He tells us in verse 17 that he's talking specifically about Jesus Christ, all right? So everything we're talking about is talking about Jesus. He tells us first, he says, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning. Now, if you've been around church at all, uh, your Bible radar should be going off whenever you hear that, right? In the beginning. That sounds a whole lot like the very first pages of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, John is intentionally using that. 
He's intentionally opening his book in the same way that this whole story begins because he's intentionally linking the beginning of it all with Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus. That's what John's telling us here. He's saying he is eternal. From, from all of eternity past to all of eternity future, Jesus is there. So it's not that he began in the beginning. He's just always been. He's just always been, right? In fact, he was the one that was creating it all in the beginning. That's what he says there in verse three. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. If you remember in Genesis chapter one, how did everything come into existence? God spoke it, right? And so now John is telling us that, that Jesus was the word being spoken and everything came into existence through him. Colossians 1.16, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, it's important, right? It's important to grasp this. Jesus was not created. That's what the Mormons Teach, that, that Jesus is a created being, like some kind of angel or something like that. Now, but, but listen, Jesus didn't first show up on the scene as a baby in the manger on, on Christmas. John is telling us that he was there. He was in the beginning and he made everything. So in the category of maker and made, Jesus is over here in the maker category. He's not in the made category. He made everything. Everything came through him. Verse three says, all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus is not in the created category. He's in the creator category. Make sense? So he was there. In the beginning, he made everything, including you. And then, if that's not complicated enough, John goes on. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. It was with God. Now with implies side by side, doesn't it? With implies, um, it, it literally means in company with. So think about the person that you came to church here this morning with. Like you rode together side by side. You're sitting here with someone side by side, but you're distinct people. Like you're not... Like you're distinct, right? And that's the point that he's making here. He's telling us there's distinction from God the Father, all right? Still kind of confusing. It gets better. And the word was God. <laughs> so the word was with God and the word was God. Now that's a huge statement. John just said, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Um, the Jehovah's Witness um, group in their Bible translation called the New World Translation, right there where it says, and the word was, uh, the word was God, they add in the little letter A. The word was a God. Just meaning just one of, one of many, one of many little G gods. In fact, they believe that you and I, we can become gods as well. But the problem with that is that's not in the text. It's not in the original languages. There's no A there. John is saying he is God. So we're left here going, so wait, so he's with God, but he's also God? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And so what we see here is what's called the doctrine of the Trinity, the triune God, one God, 
in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see a little bit later in the book of John. One God. And now listen, I'm not gonna stand here and try and act like that's easy to understand. <laughs> it's not. I'm also not gonna sit here and try and illustrate that further or articulate that further because it's really easy to step off into heresy land whenever you do, all right? So it's, it's not easy, it's just clear. It's just true. Even Paul talked about in his writing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talked about the fact that some of the stuff that he was teaching under the influence of the Holy Spirit, some of the stuff that he was teaching is hard to wrap hands around. And he said, we're not gonna fully understand it until the day we stand with Jesus in heaven. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. So these things that we're discussing, they're not easy to wrap hands around, but they're true. And they're clear from scripture. Jesus is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And so John 1.1 1, 1, John, the best friend of Jesus, tells us that Jesus is eternal, that he's distinct from the Father, and that he is God. And then he goes further in verse 14. Look at verse 14. The word, there's, there's that title again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's saying the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. What he's telling us here is that Jesus became human. He became flesh. He didn't become human-like. He's not like an apparition or, or some kind of image. He became human, fully human is what he's telling us there. And so here in this passage, we're told he is God, and now we're telling he became flesh, he became man, and so what John is saying is that he is both fully God and fully man. And I told you, not easy to understand. It's just true. It's just clear. And it's so important that we understand this today. John wants us to know and understand that he is both fully God and fully man. And he says that he came to dwell among us. Dwell among us. That word, dwell, is the equivalent of the Hebrew word used in the Old Testament for tabernacle. And in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the place, it was the visible representation of God's glory on earth, right? Think about it, Exodus, the, the tabernacle coming into being. That was where God was coming from heaven to dwell with his people on earth. And now John is saying that's who Jesus is, that he is God in human form on the earth. And the question is, why would he do that? Like, why would he step out of, of, of heaven, of he's the eternal God, the creator God who exists in, in heaven. He steps out of heaven into earth to come as a human, to be rejected, to be killed? Why would you do that? And the answer is to be near, to be near. In fact, Matthew in his gospel calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who Jesus is. He came to be with us, God in the flesh with us. Just notice like the intimacy and the closeness that's there. 
of him coming to us, <laughs> taking on the form of a human like you and me. And because this is true, because he's both fully God and he's fully man, well, he's the perfect teacher for us. Like he, he, he shows us how we ought to think, how we ought to handle situations, how we ought to handle different temptations. He's the perfect example. Like he walked through it all. He experienced everything that you and I experienced. He experienced every temptation, every, 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 every thought, every struggle, every pain, every heartbreak. Like he experienced all of that and he shows us how we are to live in those moments. He's our example to follow. And most importantly, because he's fully God and fully human, He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the one that we desperately needed because he died a death that scripture says you and I were supposed to die. We desperately needed him to come. In the opening pages of the Bible where John is drawing our eye over to Genesis chapter one, in Genesis chapter three, we see the fall of man. We see sin enter the world. And you and I experience the effects of that every single day in our own lives. Like we have sin in our life and the Bible calls sin, it calls us darkness and death. Romans 6.23, that the wages, the payment for sin is death, right? And so if sin, the thing that we all experience in our life brings about death, we desperately needed a savior. And now look at verse four and five again. In him was life. So in us, man, it's darkness and it's death because of our sin nature, but in him, he's different. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. See, sin equals darkness and death, but, but in Jesus is life. That was his purpose in putting on skin and bone and coming to this earth. In fact, he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I've come so that you might have life. And not just a little bit, like have life to the full. And not just one day when you step into heaven, but like here and now. I've come so that you might have life. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, it's a popular uh, prophecy of, of Jesus coming into the world. You'll hear it around the Christmas season a lot. Isaiah nine, two says, the people walking in darkness walking in sin, have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. See, Jesus came to be the light that shines in the darkness, and John tells us in verse five that the darkness could not overcome him. When he goes to the cross and he lays down his life willingly, the darkness, the sin and death of this world tried its best to kick his tail, but they couldn't because three days later he came bursting out of the grave alive. And when he does, he offers life to us. That's why we desperately needed him to come. And John says in verse four, in him was life and that life was light. That life was the light of men. See, light it does a lot of things, but one of the things that it does is it brings sight. It allows you to see. And so light brings sight and seeing Jesus for who he truly is brings light. And that's what John wants for us. Saying, I want you to see his glory, believe in him and have life. So John chooses to begin his book 
with this extremely deep theological opening, <laughs> like straight into the deep end of theology, right? He tells us that, that Jesus is the eternal creator, always has been, always will be, that he is God in the flesh, that he's the giver of life. Like that's what we're told in those first five verses, right? Now I wanna caution you, the goal of this is not just head knowledge. Don't fall into the trap of allowing theological knowledge to puff you up or make you arrogant. It does that to people and it's gross when it does it. That's not the goal. Theological knowledge is not meant to puff us up. It's meant to do the exact opposite. It should make you just keep saying, wow. Just completely in awe of who he is. And so John chooses to open his book with deep truth because he wants us to read every single word and sentence and paragraph for the next 25 weeks together simply in awe of Jesus. Just amazed by him. Just wowed by him. Right? And so with the two minutes I have left, we're gonna get extremely practical. Because that's what, that's what John does. Like he, he, he starts by diving headfirst into the deep end of theology, but then he goes extremely practical. In verse six, he's like, oh yeah, there was a guy named John. <laughs> like we go cosmos, we're talking Jesus, the creator, the eternal. Oh yeah, there's a guy named John. And he points us to this guy named John the Baptist who is trying his best to point people to believe in Jesus. And what John the writer is doing is he's, he starts very heady, who is Jesus? And then he goes extremely practical. How will people respond? How will they respond? Look at verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And the world was created through him. Remember verse three, he's the creator of all. Yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own talking about the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. See, what John is telling us here is there's only two responses to Jesus. Like, there's no middle ground. We're not left with the option of just kind of riding the fence here. There's two options on how you respond to everything we just talked about in the verse five verses there. There's only two responses. Some believe and others don't. Verse 10 and 11, the people that he created didn't recognize him. So sad, right? But then in verse 12, but some do believe, and those that do become children of God. Like, that's amazing, right? That's amazing. And that's the whole goal of John writing this, is so that you and I would believe and have life. John 20, 31, again, but these are 
These are written, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, late in life, old man John, the best friend of Jesus, writes this book with one goal in mind. I want you to know my best friend. I want you to know him. And in order for you to know him, you have to truly understand who he is. That he wasn't just a nice guy, that he wasn't God-like, that he didn't begin as a little baby who shows up on the scene on Christmas Day. No, he is God. Always has been, always will be. He's God, he comes in the flesh to dwell among us, to save us from our sin. And now the question is, is how will you and I respond? And the urge of John, the best friend of Jesus, is to respond by believing. Again, he uses that word 90 times in this book, to believe. And what he's talking about with that is not just believing like in your head, like some kind of head knowledge type of belief. He's talking about letting what you know affect how you live. And belief is placing your trust and your faith in Jesus completely and saying, you have my life. That's what that means, right? And I want us to see in this text that very practical truth that what you know affects how you live and I want us to draw our eyes back to verse 6 to this that little verse that kind of breaks everything all the tension and says there is a guy named John look at look at John 1 verse 6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Oh, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light because the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The other night, um, we were driving, my family and I, we were driving up to Greenbrier. We were gonna go to the blue and white basketball game and it was dark outside and we were in my truck and my uh, seven-year-old Dax, he, he noticed uh, all of the, all the lights down the middle of the road, the shiny lights that divide the lanes. And he started asking me all kinds of questions about those. He, he's asking me like, how do, how do they get electricity to all those? You know, uh, who has to change the light bulbs in all those? And so we started having a conversation ab about it. And I explained to him that those things aren't lit up at all. Like there's no power in them. They're what we call reflectors, right? They're, they're simply reflectors. Like the, the light was actually coming from my truck. And the reflectors were just bouncing the light back so that we could see the way. And that's what John is. John is called a witness to testify about the light. And John, the writer, he, he makes it clear. Like John the Baptist was not the light. He, 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 he's just a reflector of the light, verse eight says. And if you were to read, like if you want some homework this week and you wanna go read about John the Baptist, you begin to read his story you're gonna see a guy who is completely in awe of who Jesus is. Just completely amazed. And that amazement affects his entire life. He's famous for saying things like John 1, 26. He, he says, someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He's the one coming after me whose sandal straps I am unworthy to untie. 
That's who John the Baptist saw Jesus as. He's famous for saying John chapter one, verse 29, it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's the one I've been telling you about. Just beside himself, just giddy at the fact that he just saw Jesus. He's famous for saying my favorite verse in the New Testament, John 3.30. He, Jesus, must increase and I've got to decrease. He must become greater and greater and I've got to become less and less. Can I tell you, if you have had your eyes open to recognize and receive Jesus, well, this is your calling as well. Just be a reflector of the light. In fact, I hope the next time you're driving at night and you see those little reflectors down the middle of the road, I hope you remember this. And I hope you remember that that is your calling. As someone who's amazed and wowed by Jesus, your job is just to reflect the light back into a world so that, verse seven says, so that all others might believe. And that's what John, the writer, means when he says he wants you to believe in Jesus. That's what he means whenever he says, I want you to believe in Jesus and have life in his name. He's saying, I want you to meet my best friend. I want you to be so wowed and amazed by who he is and his glory and his beauty. I want you to place your belief in him and I want you to let that affect your whole life as you are a reflection for him. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.